a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, bringing you the podcast as usual from the Say the Damn Score studios located in the spare bedroom of my apartment in Beersford, South Dakota. I cover small college and high school sports, doing play-by-play at a radio station in South Dakota, and this podcast is dedicated to talking to sportscasters all around the country who tell their stories, give tips on how to become better broadcasters, and whatever the heck we decide to talk about on a given day. Today, we are talking with Jeff Colhane. He is the voice of the North Dakota State Bison, and this is, I believe, your second year on the job there and I guess, how has the the new opportunity been for you? Well, first of all, Logan, thanks so much for having me uh, on the show. Appreciate that. I listen to the podcast and impressed by the guests that you get on the show. So uh, just uh, happy to be a part of uh, another outstanding podcast that you're putting together today. Um, it's been great. You know, year one has been, uh, has been great. It, it really has. It's been a year of firsts both uh, professionally and personally uh, for myself. Um, everything that you know, we did in year one here at Radio FM Media with the rights of North Dakota State Athletics was a first for everybody in the building. Uh, nobody here before had really been involved in sports for an entire season consistently, at least at this level. And so there was a lot of work put in. There was a lot of time. There was a lot of sacrifice. And you know, uh, some, some tough, tough hours, tough days, I guess, if you will. Uh, but we have a great team up here and it's been a very rewarding and very memorable past year. And also a, a very, uh, rewarding and memorable past year for me personally as well, you know, moving to Fargo and uh, purchasing a home here and getting engaged and, uh, getting married, uh, just over a month ago. So, it's been uh, it's been a year of firsts, uh, as I mentioned, and uh, I'm really looking forward to a sense of normalcy, being able to do something for a second time around uh, here this year with our uh, with our second season coming forward, and uh, excited about that. Wanted to congratulate you as well. You just got married recently, uh, also, Logan. So congratulations to you and your your brand new bride. It's uh, welcome to the club, the uh, the young uh, marriage club we got going on right here. <laughs> I sure appreciate that. And uh, that happened two days before we are recording this one. It won't be released for a little while. It is August 14th today, so I'm not exactly sure the date that this will officially be launched, but I do appreciate the congratulations. What's been uh, the key to to your short marriage so far being positive? I mean, I guess you haven't really gone through a full sports season as a married man, but what do you, uh, what do you anticipate will be the challenges and how to overcome them? You know, I think they're probably similar to, to everybody else that, you know, has had 
um, a, a relationship in this business. It's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of uh, time spent by us as broadcasters and announcers uh, working and traveling and honing our craft and getting better and improving. And it take, takes a special uh, partner, it takes a special man, woman, who maybe is not in the business to um, understand the, the demands and the time spent and the time needed to uh, do this job correctly. And my wife is, has been a part of it now for ever since she, she's known me. So coming up on four years, and now it'll be our first season together as a married couple. So um, she knows the drill. She's a seasoned vet. Uh, she understands what it what it takes, and obviously on my end, uh, we do as much as we can to spend time together and uh, enjoy uh, the free time that we have, and and uh, doing things together that are special, and um, and uh, just taking advantage of those opportunities. So uh, she's more of a pro at it than I am, and she does uh, she does a great job. I'm a lucky man to say the least. So here's. Something that I've always kind of wondered for the people who have made it to the Division One level where their number one job is being on the air and doing sports. In your case, you run a daily talk show as well as being the voice of the Bison. Whereas in the past, I know for a fact, and we'll get into this more later, but you used to do the news and the sales and everything else that... You know, you may not care as much about, you may care about the sports, but your station managers and the people that pay you care about sales. So that has to be first during the day. And a lot of times you end up doing preparation during the night. Since you have moved on uh, to become the voice of a program, have you been able to do more of your preparation during traditional work hours? You know, I would probably say no. Uh, Amazingly, going back to that time in my career that you're alluding to, uh, which was really when I started right out of college, um, I would say probably not as much as you would think. Uh, you know, being the program director of Bison 1660 in Fargo, a new startup sports talk station, that was another big piece of the puzzle uh, of this opportunity uh, when I took the job as the play-by-play announcer at NDSU. Um, I, I think you're always preparing in some way, Logan. Uh, you know, people ask that question, how many hours a week do you prepare? And I don't think there's really a set answer for it. I think it's different for everybody. Um, some people need more, potentially. Some people don't need as much. And that doesn't mean they aren't as prepared. They just know how to prepare better, or maybe they have a better understanding of the game that week. They have a better understanding of the opponent. Um I think I think it differs. I think it I think it's different from person to person. Um, so no, I, I don't think I, I've been able to to prepare uh, during the day as much because a lot of my time is spent one preparing our radio show on a daily basis, uh, two uh, making sure our radio station sounds the way it needs to sound at a high level, three I'm working still working with sales each and every day on ideas and uh, developing um, revenue-generating opportunities for clients and businesses around the Fargo-Moorhead uh, metro area. And then, you know, four, you're working with everybody else. You're, you're scheduling part-timers. You're working with promotions. You're working with engineering. You're working with traffic. So quite honestly, Logan, a lot of the things that I did coming out of uh, college in one of my first jobs, 
I'm doing a lot of those same, same things in just different aspects. Um, so a lot of my prep, when I get to actually sit down and sit at a table and maybe have the TV on with the game on and uh, have my, my great Dane pepper, uh, laying on the floor next to me and get to actually dig into the nuts and bolts of how I want to tell the story of a broadcast and preparing on teams, players, coaches, and storylines. I'll be honest with you. It comes that night when I'm at home, I have to be able to set uh, aside some time in the, uh, in the evening. And for football, I think as we have all, um, as we've had the opportunity to call games, uh, football is the sport that I think that at least that I have covered and called is the one that takes the most preparation time when you're actually sitting down and getting ready for a broadcast and going over teams and opponents and all those phases of, uh, of the night of the game. Um, so I, I guess no, no is the answer. Surprisingly, you would think it, that would be the case. But there are other uh, pieces to the puzzle of my job here that uh, go beyond just actually calling the game. So let's go backwards now to the first time that you were maybe not working, but in the radio studio. You would tag along uh, with your, I believe, was it your dad or your uncle? I don't remember for sure, but at Mitchell Colonel's games at the age mm-hmm. of five years old. And we might get a little bit uh, inside baseball-y here because I'm obviously very familiar with the South Dakota landscape. But Mitchell Colonel's games, especially back at that time, were a big deal. Was that kind of how you built your love for radio, was following in that situation in those footsteps? Yeah, correct, Logan. My, my family has always been around broadcasting. Uh, my uncle, Kevin, is still... Uh, in broadcasting is now he is now actually the general manager of a classic rock station in Sioux Falls uh, so he is still a part of it as well as a lengthy career in television and Mitchell radio and Mitchell as well he was the play-by-play voice of the uh, USD Coyotes for a period of time um, and so my uncle Kevin has been around it and yes to tell the story I would spend time in the broadcast booth with my dad uh, my dad has been a local broadcaster here in, uh, in my old hometown of Mitchell, South Dakota, um, and he would call Mitchell Colonel uh, High School boys and girls basketball games as the analyst. And so I would be in the booth, and I would see all the equipment and all the gear and the headsets and get to watch the game from this perch at the Corn Palace, which is still the same location it was you know, 30 years ago. And there was just something about it. Um, it, it became something that I, uh, paid attention to as a kid growing up, I would watch games on TV and I wouldn't just watch them. I would listen to what the announcers were saying and how they said things, how they would position their statements, uh, about uh, certain plays or players just to get the, I guess the lingo down as a, uh, as a youngster. And the radio was always on in my house. It was always on. Whenever I woke up in the morning, uh, my dad would have the radio on. We'd be listening to the morning shows. We'd hear the sports updates and the sports reports and the news updates and and the weather reports. It was just always a part of who I was. And so that's, you know, that's how it started. Yeah, in Mitchell, South Dakota, it would evolve. um, uh, My first job in radio was at KORN which was at that time uh, news, weather, sports, and oldies radio station, as well as a part-time weekend, uh, I guess, on-air announcer. 
working a part-time shift on Saturdays and Sundays. And Steve Morgan, who is still the uh, sports director at uh, KORN, KQRN in Mitchell, he gave me my start in radio, I guess, officially. And I would work with him uh, all the way through college. Uh, after the uh, tragic passing of uh, the great Tom Maxwell in the car accident in the fall of 2001, uh, Steve asked me if I would want to be his analyst for Mitchell Colonel boys basketball games. And for me at that point in time, that was a huge deal. Uh, it was, I, I was just out of high school. It was my first year in college at Dakota Westland. And I had always growing up wanted to play high school boys basketball for Gary Munson at Mitchell high school. And Colonel basketball was under Gary Munson was a dynasty. It was a big deal uh, to the people in the city and the town and also to the kids growing up going and watching high school boys basketball games at the Corn Palace because of the success and the tradition, and you want to be, to be a part of that. Um, so when I was able to get that opportunity, that was a big deal, and that's really where my passion took off. Um, it would develop into more opportunities with Steve and with um, KQRN, KORN, you know, calling girls basketball. I actually called my sister's high school girls basketball games uh, volleyball, uh, Legion and amateur baseball, uh, and then got some opportunities to actually call, uh, area high school boys basketball games as well. So that's where it all started. Um, you know, being around it as a youngster and then also, uh, having the, the opportunity to be a part of it in my hometown, thanks to a guy like Steve Morgan, who uh, gave me my first shot. Steve Morgan is one of the good guys in the business around here, but, I want to follow back on something you said you had always kind of dreamed of playing for the Mitchell Colonels. And did you ever get that opportunity when did, when you were there, did you play high school with the Colonels? Oh yeah. Yeah, we, I did. We, um, so uh, I played as a junior and a senior. Yep. The, the reason I ask that is because the timeline, I'm not a hundred percent sure how this is going to be, but probably the most famous basketball player to ever come out of South Dakota. Of course, Mike Miller, would have been, I think, if my calculations are correct, around the same time you were there. Did you ever play with Mike Miller? I did not, but interestingly enough, Mike was a senior when I was a freshman. So we were in high school together. Um, I thought he was, Mike was, was such a great talent that, you know, and he's 6'8", walking through the halls of your high school. He obviously stuck out every day when you saw him. And the amount of uh, uh, pressure that he had on him to perform and to be a great basketball player in high school, along with the entire recruiting process that was going on, he had a lot going on. So for a 14-year-old kid to be able to, to be around that was, was pretty special. Uh, Mike actually coached one of our tri-state teams when I was a freshman uh, in Sioux Falls, in the Sioux Falls YMCA tournament. So he coached one of our tri-state teams for a few tournaments when he had time before his, uh, uh, you know, his, his training took off and he left for Gainesville to get ready for his freshman year at Florida with Billy Donovan at that point in time. So he was a senior when I was a freshman, but he was just, he was a guy when, when he was, um, all eyes were on him. I mean, it was, it was so fun to be, a basketball player and a basketball fan uh, 
around Mitchell High School at that point in time because you knew that you're probably not going to see something like that ever again, if not for a very long time. And um, everybody was gunning for him. Uh, he had a lot of people that I think wanted to see him succeed, but also many people that wanted to see him fail as well. And I thought he handled it very well. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun to be a high school basketball player and fan around that period of time at Mitchell High School. So you said you never actually played together, but were you ever on like the scout team, the JV team, when they were practicing uh, before games, setting up plays and stuff where maybe you got uh, put on a poster by him at any point? <laughs> uh, you know what? I script, we, we would play basketball at the, at the uh, high school gym uh, quite a bit. You know, we'd play pickup games and, uh, you know, when he was coaching us, he would scrimmage with us. And, you know, one of the, the cooler moments you have is being able to throw a lob to Mike Miller on a fast break and have him dunk it when nobody you've ever played with before can dunk a basketball. And being able to do that when you're 14 years old is something that you know, you'll always remember. And you kind of you kind of turn into a, uh, a fanboy, if you will, at that point in time. You try not to smile. You try and make it feel like or or sound like it's something that you do every day when reality, you'll never throw a lob to a guy dunking a basketball probably ever again. So, uh, yes, got, got to scrimmage with him, got to play. Actually played one-on-one against him one time. He asked me to uh, – to come in while he was working out. He just wanted to play against somebody. And I was literally wearing a pair of jeans and tennis shoes and didn't have any of my basketball gear. But I'm like, yeah, I'll absolutely play play against you for sure. And so those, those are things you'll always remember um, about a guy like Mike who has had an unbelievable NBA career and uh, still still going, still, still not finished and is going to have, I know, an impressive business career after uh, he decides he's done playing as well. All right, well, back to the broadcasting stuff that we're, we're here to talk about, but I thought that was a nice little aside. But yeah. after high school, you went to play college football and baseball at Dakota Wesleyan, which is an NAIA team in the area. And I don't need to know about your uh, highs and lows there, but how does it Not help you? Highs, at- <laughs> Logan, I'll tell you that. Not As- a lot of highs, a lot of lows there. As a person with five JV points for the Morningside basketball, I know all about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what? How does it help you to have played even a little bit at a higher level when you get to when you eventually got to your broadcasting career? Well, I think that for anybody that is lucky enough to compete in college athletics. Um, I don't care at any level. Obviously, there are different levels of talent and uh, attention and commitment, but you you go through a lot of the same things. Um, You're you know you're playing now with a group of guys that are all the best at their at their craft. They're all the best from their high schools around the country, and it it taught me a lot about uh, you know what. You may have you may have certain things figured out, but there's always something you can get better at, and always something you can learn from. You're you're never a finished product, I guess, is is what I learned. And I had to work hard in college. I mean, I, I by no means was the most athletic, by no means was I the most talented, but I knew I wanted to play, and I knew that if I if I worked at it, that I could play. And it came probably a lot more difficult to me than I thought it was going to, 
it was frustrating. Uh, it was challenging, but I think it, it helped develop me into the person that I am now. Uh, my competitive level is still at an all time high. Um, I, I want to be the best at everything we do. I, I don't want to have bad ratings. I don't want to have bad broadcasts. And I, I think those experiences at that level, you know, for, for, um, for me, it didn't come easy. And uh, I, I have had to work at a lot of things in my career. And I think those experiences taught me that you've, you've got to go get it. Nothing is given to you. It, it's earned. And even when you think it should be earned, sometimes it, it isn't quite there yet. So you've got to continue to work at it and work harder. And so I think dealing with failure, I think dealing with, um, you know, challenges that you thought would come maybe a little quicker than what they did helped me in my career, you know, knowing that, hey, um, if you're going to want to rise to the, the level that you think you can aspire to, there are just as many people out there that feel like they deserve those jobs um, more than you do. And so you got you to gotta be good at what you do. You got to make sure you um, prepare. You got to make sure you work hard at it. And you got to treat the job with respect, uh, the respect that it deserves. So I think that's what it taught me. I think it's, it's, if you want something, it's not going to be given to you. You have to go out and get it and earn it yourself. And I think those, that's one of the main things that I've taken away from being an athlete at the collegiate level. So next you, I believe, transferred to the University of South Dakota, graduated, blah, blah, blah. And you got your first job in you know, Yankton, South Dakota, the same station right now that I happen to work at, uh, 106.3 FM and 15.70 AM, where you hosted a show, did play-by-play, full-time sales, pretty much everything. How did you end up with that job, and you worked with Lane Grindle there? Were you hired at the same time, or was he involved in the process, or you involved in the process, one or the other? So Lane was a student in the mass comm department, broadcasting school at USD. Uh, I actually finished at Dakota Wesleyan, so I did not go to USD for college. But at that time, uh, my uncle Kevin, who we talked about earlier, uh, he was the voice of the Coyotes, and Colhane Communications had the rights to a USD athletic broadcast. Um, and so, you know, as my uh, excitement level for broadcasting grew throughout college. Um, it, it became apparent to me that I wanted to do this full time. I wanted to do this as a career. I wanted to call games. I wanted to work in radio and broadcasting and TV and all of those things. Um, my big question was, do I, did I need to go to graduate school to uh, get a, a graduate degree or should I just start working right away? And I thought about the Syracuse path. I thought about Nebraska. I thought about other broadcasting schools out there. Um, but I, I discussed it with a lot of the, you know, the great broadcasters around the state of South Dakota, the great radio play-by-play men um, that are out there still calling games today in their respective communities. And they said to me that I had at that point what, that what individuals in graduate school did not have. And that was experience. I had, you know, uh, eight years of broadcasting experience uh, to some degree. I had four years of sports broadcasting experience. Go out and start working. Go out and get a job. Start getting your reps. Uh, start uh, getting after it. So that's what I did. 
And uh, I think at that time as well, it was just perfect timing. I think, you know, Kevin was looking for um, some more youthful voices in his, uh, in his company. Lane was just getting uh, wrapped up with school at USD, and he was working with Kevin uh, doing a show. He was also on the sidelines for USD basketball. He was calling USD women's basketball as well. And so uh, bringing Lane and I together was a, a great thing, I think, for all of us. I think it was certainly a great thing for me. I learned so much from Lane, um, especially in the sports talk side of things. Uh, and so that's how it happened. We kind of all uh, came together. I was the last one to come on board after graduating college. But uh, I worked with Lane Grendel for four months was all at um, Culhane Communications on USD football and basketball broadcast. And we worked every day on a sports talk show that we actually won an AP award for in South Dakota. But we've remained uh, great friends ever since then. And both of us have been able to go on and, and uh, improve ourselves and improve our craft. And I think we're both pretty happy with, with where we're at at this point in time in our careers. We should mention Lane Grindle is the number three broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers at this point. Did you ever have a conversation with him that you guys talked that you thought that both of you could make it to the levels that you did? Or was it just a pipe dream? No, we definitely talked. We definitely talked about what our dreams were. Uh, I don't think either of us would have thought, you know, that, that one would be in major league baseball or the other would be uh, where I'm at here at NDSU. I think he was just, look, we want to go as high as we can go and, and let's see what happens. Um, you know, I mentioned that Lane worked four months. Uh, he and I worked together for full, four months in Yankton and Vermillion. And then he got a job as the host of sports nightly on the Husker sports network in Lincoln, Nebraska. A couple of years later, an opportunity uh, arose at the Husker Sports Network, and Lane and I stayed in contact, and we're very good friends and still are. And uh, he brought me down to come work uh, with him on Sports Nightly in 2007. And so that's, you know, people, uh, we, we talk about how do, you, how do you reach the level you want to reach. Connections and developing relationships are a huge part of it. Um, you know, I think it's, it's special that Lane and I have been able to work together as long as we have and have been able to be friends and continue to be friends. I just saw him actually uh, last Tuesday at Target Field when the Brewers were in town playing the Twins. Um, so, you know, I, that's a big part of it, networking and building relationships and developing those relationships and staying in contact with a lot of those people is always very important uh, because you never know when a potential relationship can help you out in a job down the road, no matter what level. Um, so, you know, they, they always say the old adage is it's not what you know, it's who you know. And to some degree in broadcasting, to a large degree in broadcasting, that's, that's definitely a key part of it. So um, we, we had fun. i tell you what, it was only four months. It felt like it was four years as much as we were on the road and calling games and, um, just just talking about how we can get better, and we continued that in Nebraska, which was a lot of fun. Calling baseball games together, we worked every day, every day and every night on sports nightly together, and so uh, we've, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, six or seven years. It probably feels like we worked together for 10 or 20 years, but wouldn't trade any of it for uh, anything else in my career because of how I think we both have become better broadcasters with the help of each other and the uh, guidance that each other has provided from time to time. So seems like a good time to jump to your time at Nebraska, where you were, of course, the, the, Sports Husker Sports Nightly host, and you also did the Big Red wrap-up reaction. I don't remember what the exact title of it, but I know I've listened to it many, many times over the years because I'm originally from Nebraska, and I know you grew up as a Nebraska fan. What was it like working for the team that you grew up, you know, loving? And I guess with that, how difficult was it to keep your Oh, your bias from coming out. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me. I'll, I'll never forget driving down to Lincoln the first time and driving down 180 uh, past Memorial Stadium and Haymarket Park into downtown Lincoln and thinking, oh my goodness, this is a whole other level. Uh, this, is, this is the real deal. And being on a radio network every night, you know, with the show like Sports Nightly, where you have 25 radio stations around the state of Nebraska, um, you're instantly stepping into a different um, opportunity. And you're stepping, you're stepping up a level, many levels. And so, I, you know, I remember that um, I, I, I really needed to put a lot, different level of professionalism on. I had to put the fan card away. I had to be a broadcaster. You know, I still root for Nebraska to win. And I think it's, it was at that point that I really did. I really put the fan card behind me. And I think I've been watching um, sports, especially college football, a lot differently since that point in time. More as a broadcaster, more as a, a media guy. I don't consider myself a journalist by any means. Um, but it became more of what do we have to do to, to put together great shows every night? What do we have to do to, to put together great game broadcasts each and every day that we're on the air? Um, you know, we still obviously as, as employed by the Husker sports network and calling games for Nebraska, we were certainly pro Nebraska and wanted the Huskers to do well. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that when I was on the air and I turned the microphone on, that people listen to me and, and they would say, oh, this guy is good and he knows what he's doing and we want to listen to him more. And so I think that's, that was the mindset and the focus that I took when first getting that job back in 2007 at Nebraska. Um, exciting. Uh, I tell you, you know, there truly, there truly is no place like it. As they say, the fans there are amazing. And to be the only show in the States, as you know, Logan, um, the passion is, is as high as there is anywhere in college athletics. So pretty special to be able to be there and have the opportunities that I did and uh, met some great people and uh, developed some great friendships and relationships during my time of just over six years there as well. Even though you didn't do play-by-play nest for Nebraska, I guess you did baseball if I remember correctly, but you were involved with the athletic program, you were involved with the network, and were able to build some of those relationships that you mentioned. Who were some of the people you were able to meet, and how did those help you to eventually get your next position uh, doing women's basketball and baseball at the University of West Virginia? 
Sure. Great question. Um, you know, my role at the Husker sports network started basically as the producer of sports nightly. And then I gained more opportunities as uh, time went on. Uh, first year football season in 2008, which was Bo Polini's first year. I was the, the host of big red reaction, the call-in show along with Brendan Stein, Aaron Graham, also Steve Taylor, a former Husker, all American quarterback was on that show. Joe Gans, former Husker quarterback was on that show from time to time. Um, Corey Ross, a former Husker running back was on the program. So you got to do a lot of shows, call-in shows, reaction shows uh, with a lot of former Husker greats. Uh, also hosted um, Tom Osborne's athletic, Depart- athletic director monthly radio show when I took over the sports nightly talk show full-time. Hosted Tim Miles' uh, weekly uh, basketball coaches show. Hosted Darren Erstad's weekly basketball coaches show. Um, and then I think another aspect to it, when I was at Nebraska, IMG acquired the rights from host communications I believe in the summer of 2008 or 2009, if I remember correctly, I think it was 09. And that brought in a whole nother level of uh, broadcast excellence and broadcasting experience and a whole nother level of um, connections and networking. And it was then where I was able, I was lucky enough to meet the uh, the VP of the audio division, the head of the audio dish, uh, division, and the head of the broadcasting division at IMG, his name is Chris Ferris. And so uh, my goal as I continued to work in Lincoln was I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer slash voice uh, at a place like Nebraska. And I knew it wouldn't happen as the host of Sports Nightly and the number three play-by-play guy of Nebraska baseball I, I would have to work my way up, and I think that is where the opportunity at West Virginia uh, developed uh, late in 2013 uh, when Chris Ferris reached out to me, knowing my hunger to be able to advance my career. Um, that is how that opportunity began in August of 2013. So how did you keep your call sharp for basketball and football when you weren't getting reps doing basketball or football were you doing local high school stuff on the side just to kind of keep the axe sharp so to speak i was i you know actually i uh i would call some uh local high school basketball uh and in fact again go back to uh my uncle kevin colhane um he became the play-by-play announcer at wayne state uh in wayne nebraska for a few seasons, and I was lucky enough to be able to call a football game um, when he was unable to early in the year, late in, late in the summertime when he had other obligations going on. I called some Nebraska high school girls state uh, championship games, uh, some high school boys basketball uh, around the area as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, would, I would have a few games here or there, football and basketball, and, and quite honestly, I would take a lot of mental reps, Logan. Uh, you know, I, I guess the best way I would compare it is a football, basketball, or baseball player gets injured uh, while they're rehabbing. They still are watching film and, and still envisioning getting ready to play a game or getting ready to um, prepare for an opponent. I would do a lot of those things. I'd be at practice. 
I, I would call a play in my head at a Husker football practice. I would call a play in my head watching a college basketball game. It, it, it would just, I guess I would subconsciously go about it, even though I wasn't calling the game, I would still try and call a play from time to time to stay sharp. And I think I did a lot of those things in both stops at West Virginia. And then last summer here in Fargo, as, as I was preparing for year number one, calling NDSU football, I would watch old film and I'd sit here in my office where I'm talking to you now. And with nobody in the building on the weekend, I'd call the game and I'd make mistakes and, and correct myself and, and just constantly try and sharpen what I was, what I was trying to uh, illustrate and what I was trying to throw out there. So being involved with Nebraska the first year that Bo Pelini was there in the ensuing years, he's uh, well known for being not necessarily always friendly to the local media. Did you ever have any issue dealing with Bo Pelini or just maybe even more in general, what experience do you have dealing with difficult coaches? You know, Bo and I did not have any issues at all. Uh, in fact, I was at nearly every single Nebraska football practice from 2008 uh, through 2012. And so I was at practice almost every day, just viewing and watching. And I think a, you know, a trust developed there between Bo and I. Um, you know, Bo would listen to the show and if there were things that Bo didn't like on the show, he, he would let you know. And, and that's, I don't think that's anything that's, uh, completely outlandish. I think that happens with columnists and newspaper reporters where if somebody says something that, or writes something that might be a little bit off, uh, the head coach, not only Bo Pelini, but other head coaches around the country would say, Hey, let me talk to you about something for a second. That's not completely accurate. Here's what, you know, here's maybe a little nugget that can help you out. And so that, that would go on from time to time. Um, you know, I've dealt with some really good coaches and I think what I've learned about um, being a play-by-play announcer for a program is it's not about me. It's about the team. It's about the coach. It's about the players uh, they're the ones that are performing. They're the ones that are competing. And you just have to go out and do your job the best you can, uh, develop trust with those individuals um, by uh, just just talking about their team and, and letting them know that, hey, I'm just curious about this. I'm not here to break news or anything like that. But some of these things will help me prepare for my broadcast uh, each and every week. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Bo, Bo definitely had uh, a volatile side to him at Nebraska. Um, but away from the field, I will say this. Bo Pelini is a good family man. Um, he's a, uh, a Catholic. He also has his own foundation that uh, raises money for cancer research. And he would do anything for any of his players. If, if you want to find out a different side to the story on Bo Pelini, just ask any one of the players that played for him at Nebraska and or Youngstown State, and they'll certainly tell you uh, that the respect they have for him and the respect he had for them uh, while he coached them and while they played for him. 
Okay, now, since this is a, this wouldn't work very well if it was a radio show, but since it's a podcast and I can jump around and do whatever the heck I feel like it, because it's my show and I don't have any advertisers to deal with, I want to go back to getting on and staying on uh, the IMG radar of Chris Ferris. He's a... He's one of the major power brokers uh, as far as uh, hiring talent around the country. Obviously, you got there initially because uh, of the IMG network, but how did you stay on his radar and build your profile in in his mind? Well, um, I would say that goes all the way back to, oh, Chris came out to Lincoln for a November weekend. And as we all know, the month of November is a busy one in the crossover with college basketball uh, and college football. And I think he wanted to see how our operation was ran. You know, one difference about Nebraska compared to the other schools under the IMG broadcasting umbrella, Nebraska handles all of their broadcasting in-house, whereas everyone else, for the most part, is underneath the IMG um, umbrella, I guess you will, or the control of IMG at their corporate studios in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So Chris came out, and I think it was 2009, 2010. I forget which year it was, but he came for a weekend where we had a Nebraska basketball game. We had our high school scoreboard show that I developed, created, produced, and hosted, and sold. We also had our full 12-and-a-half-hour Husker football game day, and then another um, Husker basketball game on Sunday. So it was a busy weekend, Uh, not to mention, I believe, there was a sports nightly show mixed in there somewhere as well. And so I think he was observing to see uh, exactly how many broadcasting hours we were uh, producing and wondering, I think, at the same time, if it would be worth their while to bring us in-house in Winston-Salem. Eventually, I think with the Sports Nightly show, Nightly, they decided at that time that, you know what, we'll let Nebraska kind of do their own thing, but we'll work with them if they need anything from us. And, you know, from there, um, I, I just stayed in touch with Chris. You know, Chris is a very, very nice guy. He is very good at what he does. He's an unbelievable engineer and um, just great to work with. I've always had a great time working with Chris Ferris and getting to know him and just learning from him as well. Um, and so I stayed in touch. You know, I sent him tapes. I sent him uh, my, my resume. When jobs would pop up, I'd email him and say, hey, what do you think? Am I a fit for this? And he'd be honest. He'd say, no, you're not a fit for this one, but keep in touch with me on others. And so I would. And so the West Virginia job came up. And it was a very unique situation at WVU because there was a third-tier rights um, uh, bid process, and it didn't go as smoothly as I think everybody thought it was going to. It turned into a lawsuit, and IMG did not acquire the rights to the football broadcast until July of that year. And as, as we all know in broadcasting, there's not a lot of time left when you're trying to develop an entire radio network from scratch and also a game day broadcast at that level, um, when you want to do it the right way. And so, uh, Chris reached out to me about heading out to Morgantown 
to host pregame and postgame for football, women's basketball, play-by-play, and call West Virginia baseball as well. And that was really my opportunity to, to branch out, take the next step of my career, and uh, I jumped at it. And that's where my uh, career then moved in August of 2013 from Lincoln, Nebraska to Morgantown, West Virginia. And so, you know, with West Virginia being behind the eight ball on getting everything developed with the, the I guess, the, the late timing of IMG acquiring the rights, um, Chris Ferris had to spend a lot of time in Morgantown. And so I was lucky enough to spend time around uh, Chris then. Um, I was really the main guy on the ground in Morgantown, getting our broadcast ready to go, producing the imaging, and working as a liaison with the university as well, something new that they hadn't dealt with uh, before. So there was a lot of learning. There were a lot of growing pains, I think, as well on both sides. Uh, but, man, I, I, I tell you what, I made a lot, of, a lot of great friends out in West Virginia, in Morgantown, and that's where I got to spend uh, more time and uh, get the opportunity to learn more about developing my craft as a broadcaster working with Chris Ferris. So making the decision to jump from an FBS program doing women's basketball and baseball to what uneducated people may consider a step down going to FCS. Now, people who know about North Dakota State, they've won five national championships. I don't know the last time they've lost to an FBS school. They seem to beat one every year, including I think it was Iowa last year. I mean, how... How difficult was it to make that decision to make that jump to North Dakota? Not difficult at all, Logan, to be real honest with you. Um, you know, I, I, again, compare it to coaching. I think there's a lot of parallels with coaching and broadcasting and trying to obtain jobs. And at West Virginia, yes, I was in the Big 12. Yes, I was, I was at a Power 5 school. But I was never going to be the, the, the football play-by-play guy at West Virginia. Never, it wasn't going to happen, at least not for 20 or 25 years, and I didn't want to wait that long. Um, I knew that if an opportunity arose where football was a part of it, that I wanted to uh, take it, that I wanted to have the opportunity to be the play-by-play guy at a high-level football program. And that's what happened uh, at North Dakota State. Um, you know, unfortunately, it happened because of, uh, the passing of Scott Miller, who uh, died uh, to uh, tragically to cancer um, two Februarys ago. Um, but I, I don't look at it as a step down at all. I knew that I wanted to get football. I wanted to call football at a high level. And North Dakota State, with their football program, has the success, the radio network, and the following and passion that some Power 5 programs have around college football. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, it was like being an assistant coach and moving up to a head coach's job, a head coaching position. That's the way I look at it, making the move from West Virginia to NDSU. With that, I'm sure you've been asked to talk about following a legend numerous, numerous times, and we don't need to go into a lot of details on that. But what my question is, is did having the experience of joining the broadcast team after the passing of Tom Maxwell all the way back in your Mitchell, South Dakota days, did that help prepare you to follow another guy like Scott Miller at NDSU in such a difficult situation? 
You know, that's an interesting question. Um, honestly, at, at back then, um, I wasn't really following Tom. Uh, I was more of the color guy. I think it was probably more difficult for Steve um, than anybody else. You know, Tom is a Hall of Famer, um, a great broadcaster, great person. And when he passed away, uh, it affected a lot of people. It really did. And so I think, I think Steve would tell you that that was probably more of a, um, you know, a tough follow for him than it was for me. I mean, I was, I was just happy to be on the air, quite honestly. Um, Steve was the play-by-play guy. I was the, uh, the analyst, the color guy. Um, so I think for him, it was probably more of a, a tough follow. Uh, it, you know, you just, I wanted to make sure that we came in, that I came in and um, prepared the way I was supposed to prepare. And I just knew there were a lot of people listening in. I, I think that, honestly, um, going out to West Virginia when I did, late in the process, I think I could probably take more from that, Logan, in making sure I was ready and preparing for my broadcast, even though it wasn't play-by-play, um, in getting myself ready for the opportunity here at NDSU. Because I knew there would be a lot of people listening because of the, the way that that transition had gone. Um, I knew there would be a lot of people focusing in on who's this new guy coming in to West Virginia that we don't know a whole lot about. I think there were some similarities when heading here. I think people obviously, and, and no doubt, were very saddened by the passing of Scott. Scott had called all the great memories of, of Bison athletics over the last 20 years, including five straight national championships. I mean, just amazing. So I think anytime you have a change like that and those set of circumstances, I think people are wondering, what's this guy all about? So I, I wanted to make sure I did the job justice. Uh, I, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You can't replace a guy like Scott Miller. Nobody can. I just knew that I could be me and that if I got myself prepared and got myself ready, that I could do the job at a high level, not like Scott Miller could do, but I certainly was confident in myself that I could come in and call the games at, at a level that uh, I was uh, comfortable with and confident in. So I think that's how, how I would answer your question. I think I probably took more away from my time at West Virginia than um, back when I was 18 years old, 19 years old in college during a tough situation uh, when that happened as well. That's an interesting perspective. The next thing I want to jump into is you've covered teams all more or less in rural areas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota. I don't know much about West Virginia. I'm not going to lie to you, but stereotypically, you think of it as a rural area. And in rural areas, radio matters more than it does in a lot of big cities at this point where TV is king. Certainly, there's some people listening in cars, but you don't have the the people sitting in their combines and hanging on every word on a Saturday in the fall. How important is that to your happiness in Fargo and just kind of in the jobs you've been to along the way? 
Yeah, definitely. You want to you want to be a part of a broadcast that matters to people. Uh, you want to know that people are listening. I think that's that's very important. You know, Tony Caridia, West Virginia. When I was talking to him about uh, jobs and career and and his path and also my path, you know, he basically just said he he said you want to go somewhere where it matters. You want to be a part of something where people are interested and people care because it makes your job more, um, it makes it more exciting. It makes it more worthwhile. It makes it more satisfying when you know that you're going out and the work, the hard work you put in each and every broadcast, each and every week, each and every game, um, somebody wants to listen. Somebody's locked in. And I, I think, you know, all of us in broadcasting, whether you're TV, radio, whatever level you want to know that people are involved. You want to get people involved. Uh, you want to connect with others and you want to know that people are watching or people are listening. And I think that's important no matter where you're at, if it's rural, if it's urban, if you're in a city, if you're in New York, if you're in Fargo, North Dakota, you want to know people are walking because now in this day and age of media, there are so many uh, ways to consume media that there's a lot of options out there. So that's the part of, I think, differentiating yourself as a broadcaster is your work ethic, uh, your creativity, the ideas you bring to the table, because there are so many different avenues and ways for people to consume now that you've got to be able to continue to stay ahead of the curve and stay top of mind for those folks. But when it comes to play-by-play broadcasting, uh, I would agree with you. You want to be in places where people love their team, they love their program, and they, they love listening to your broadcast as well. Do you miss covering baseball? You came up doing South Dakota Legion and amateur ball and Husker baseball and West Virginia baseball, but I don't believe, I don't even, not even entirely sure if North Dakota State even has a baseball team. Do you miss covering baseball? We actually do, and we actually did, to be honest with you, Logan. First time ever. Um, NDSU baseball has been on the radio consistently. So we were able to bring that. That was one of the, um, you know, uh, key pieces, I think, to, to our new radio station, the Biden 1660 was putting baseball on the radio. I think everybody would agree that, that baseball and, and radio go together hand in hand, probably more so than any other uh, sport or game or broadcast out there. And there's something uh, romantic about listening to baseball on the radio. So um, I love calling baseball. I do. It, it might be my favorite sport. Um, it's just there, there's something about it. Uh, it challenges you as a broadcaster. You become more of a storyteller. Um, and it's, it's about what's going on on the field, but also about some of the other things that are happening around the game as well. I think in baseball on the radio, you truly get to be in your own elements as a play-by-play broadcaster and storyteller more so than any other sport. What are some of your broadcast horror stories? I ask these this question to everyone who comes on to the pod, everybody who comes on the podcast. Yeah. And if you said you listened to it, you've probably heard it before and maybe had time to think about this. What were some of your situations where things just went horribly wrong? but you can look back now and kind of chuckle at them. One of my first interviews 
at uh, USD Football Media Day, I called the, I was wrapping up the interview, and I called the offensive lineman, starting offensive lineman, by the wrong name. Uh, his name was Nick Bleak. I called him Travis Bleak, and he sort of looked at me and said, my name is Nick, by the way, and just this absolute tidal wave of embarrassment swept over me for um, not uh, remembering this guy's name. I'm a young broadcaster. I'm probably only a year older than this, this guy is at that point, so I'm nervous already. I'm not a great interviewer at that point. We were never a finished product, I think, on the air. We can always get better. Um, but I called him by the wrong name. That was one of my first broadcast horror stories. Um, I think we've all had technical uh, issues where we've been setting up equipment and have been nervous we're going to get the, the right wire plugged into the right piece of equipment at certain small town press boxes or hopefully the connections are going to be great. I think that all, always happens when you're engineering your own broadcast. You're certainly worried that all of those things are going to go well because by no means am I a tech guru and really a lot of us that are play-by-play guys aren't technical wizards in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know what? This is, this is something that I'll bring up from a year ago that I'm embarrassed about, but last year on my first game, first broadcast, Charleston Southern, it's on national TV, it's on ESPN, it's one of the first college football games a year ago. It's a great game, goes into overtime. I, have, I feel pretty good about the broadcast, pretty good about um, the call, and afterwards it was actually Lane Grendel who called me and he said, dude, you sounded great. He goes, you realize you misidentified the final score in your final call. And I knew I did, and I, ho- I was hoping nobody else heard it, but obviously somebody out there did. Uh, that was one of my more embarrassing, I think, um, experiences last year, my first year here at NDSU. And ever since then, I have been very locked in, let me tell you, to the, uh, the score and the final call, making sure that everything is uh, on point with that, let me tell you. How far off was it? Final score was 24-17. I said 17-10. to 10. So it was a touchdown. I was about two quarters behind on the final call. Oh, well, things happen, and I'm sure you uh, – I'm glad you can <laughs> laugh at that now, but <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I wanted to bring this up because you, th- you coming on this podcast was facilitated by – uh, Austin Lake, who is your cousin and was a player for Presentation College for four years when I was covering them. And, yep. and we talked a little about this earlier, but it's just you never know who might be able to help you out as you move along, as Austin doesn't really have anything to do with uh, sports casting. He does have a podcast. We should shout out the Answer Exchange. Look it up if you want to hear him tell a bunch of uh, stuff about what he thinks. <laughs> But um, that's a really long and rambling way to say that people tell you you never know who's listening. And there were times covering, you know, a presentation game where sometimes you think nobody's listening. And then to find out that, and I don't know whether you listened or not, but that, that well, the safety is uh, 
is related to a D1 broadcaster. And I was just curious if you ever listened to any of those games. To the to the presentation games, is that what you're saying? When Austin was playing. Oh, you know what? I did I did not, Logan. I did not listen to uh to the presentation games. Um I would have been heck, that would have been what, two thousand what, eleven to fifteen Austin played? Correct. Sound about right. Is that yeah, eleven to fifteen. So yeah, my Saturdays would have been filled with, with uh Nebraska football and West Virginia football throughout throughout that time period so uh unfortunately i did not get a chance to tune in and never got a chance to watch austin play i know he's uh, austin is a, a hard-working guy um a guy that loved to come up and hit you from the secondary and uh those are those are some of the things with you know working on game days and working on saturdays you, you miss out on but um uh, i did not unfortunately and uh um, i know that uh um, like you said, you just you never know who's listening. You always got to go out and prepare and get ready uh, for it as if you've got an audience of millions, even if maybe you do not. So who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to? Well, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot at the local level. There's a lot at the regional level. Of course, I think everybody has their favorite broadcasters uh, at the national level uh, as well. You know, Kevin Harlan was always a guy that I just, I marvel over the sound of his broadcasts. You know, his voice he's been blessed with, uh, his style he's developed in TV and in radio. He's done it for years at a high, high level. Um, Sean McDonough is somebody who's been a mentor for me, who is the voice of Monday Night Football right now. It's been fun to follow Sean's career on TV and on radio and bounce ideas off of and ask questions to. Um, Greg Sharp at Nebraska, I think, is a phenomenal play-by-play announcer who just his big calls give you goosebumps. Same goes for Kent Pavelka, who was the play-by-play guy for Nebraska football and now is called Nebraska basketball over the last 10, uh, 11 years or so and did that even back into the 70s through the mid-90s. Um, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of names you could throw out there. Uh, I think you take a piece of, of something uh, of a broadcast when you listen uh, all the time. I don't think there's a right or a wrong reason to do that. I know I've, I've used a, a few terms here or there from uh, other things that uh, I've heard from, and you kind of you mold it into your own saying and mold it into your own work. And um, It's always fun to listen to different broadcasts uh, around the country at different times of the year. If anybody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Yeah, shoot me an email. Uh, Shoot me an email. Uh, The email address is jeff at bison1660.com is the name of our radio station. So jeff at bison1660.com. Feel free to reach out. Um, if you just want to, uh, talk sports, if there's a young broadcaster out there listening that, uh, uh, wants to send some tape or has any questions about anything, we'd love to chat with you. Love to talk with you. I think that'd be great. Once again, we are joined on the Say the Damn Score podcast by Jeff Colhane. He is the voice of the North Dakota State University Bison. Don't say bison. They will come after you. 
<laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Jeff, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Logan, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Please reach out to the guests that take the time to come on the show. They are a great resource for you, and it's nice to show the guests kind enough to join the show that they are appreciated. Also, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn app, or the SayTheDamnScore.com email update list. I'm Logan Anderson. Next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score a little bit more.